Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. From Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of educational reading in the classroom. Each episode features one book or article, my reflections and the thoughts of my guests on its use and impact in the classroom. Some episodes may also feature an introduction from the author. Hi and welcome to Series 3, Episode 13 of From Page to Practice. Sorry there's been a longer break than usual, but unfortunately the last planned episode didn't get any reader contributions, so it had to be cancelled. They do say don't rely on your audience to supply the content, but that's really the only way this podcast works. Today's episode is on Bruce Robertson's Teaching Delusion Trilogy, and it has an introduction from Bruce and six great reader contributions, so that should really get us back on track. Just quickly before we start though, a few weeks ago I mentioned a project I was working on, which I'm now pleased to say has come to life. You can now visit learninglinguist.co.uk and pre-order a copy of the Professional Development Journal. These can only be bought via pre-order, which closes on the 4th of June. Uh, This is so that I can order the right amount, because I'm a teacher, not a business that can afford to invest in, in loads of stock. All the details you need are on the page, but I will take the opportunity a little later to tell you more about them and why I'm so pleased with them. For now, though, let's hear from Bruce about his Teaching Delusion trilogy. Hi, everyone. My name is Bruce Robertson. I'm the author of the Teaching Delusion Trilogy, and I'm delighted that all three books from the trilogy have been chosen for this episode of From Page to Practice. Um, A little bit about me. Um, I'm a secondary head teacher. Uh, I work in the Scottish Borders at a school called Berwickshire High School. Um, I've been in post as a head teacher now since August 2020. Um, Prior to that, I was deputy head teacher at another secondary school in the Scottish Borders, Eyemouth High School. Um, It's when I was the deputy head teacher of Eyemouth High School that I started to write and completed um, my first book, The Teaching Delusion, um, Why Teaching in Our Schools Isn't Good Enough and How We Can Make It Better. It's published by John Catt Educational. Um, I'm delighted that different people will be We'll be on this episode and talking about the teaching delusion, the teaching delusion two, and the teaching delusion three, um, what they've thought of it, um, and, and hopefully the impact, the positive impact that it's had on their practice in schools. I've been asked just to say a little bit about why I wrote each book, um, and I thought if we kicked off with the first one, the teaching delusion, maybe it's just best if I if I read from the introduction to that book. I think that probably captures it best. So uh, here's a a bit from from the introduction to The Teaching Delusion. There's a lot of great teaching going on in our classrooms and schools. It is very important that we recognise this from the start. Schools are filled with teachers who are working as hard as they can to teach their students as best they can. Teachers have one of the most important jobs in the world. For me, there is no question of that. Beyond parents, there are a few people in a young person's life who will have a more important influence on their learning, well-being and development. When students experience great teaching, not only do they learn and achieve, they never forget it. Most people don't realise just how complex and demanding the job of a teacher actually is. Because they went to school themselves, they think they do, but they don't. Unless they have worked as a teacher, it is difficult for most people to appreciate just how much there is to the job and how challenging it is to do all of it well. Now, having said all of this, I would like to ask you a question. Is the quality of teaching in our schools good enough? Please pause for a moment and think about this. I recognise you might think this is a controversial question. There's a perception among some teachers that they are always being bashed. Some school leaders bash them, the media bash them, sometimes students and parents bash them. I am not a teacher basher. First and foremost, I am a teacher myself. It is true that I do a lot less teaching than I used to, but that doesn't mean that I don't love teaching or working with teachers. A love of teaching is what drives me, and my working relationship with teachers is as important to me, if not more important, than any other working relationship I have. In my job, I work far more closely and more often with teachers than I do with anyone else. 
So having said all of this, I hope you will accept that my intention is not to start bashing teachers. Back to the question. Is the quality of teaching in our schools good enough? No, it isn't. Please don't throw this book across the room. Stick with me. While there is a lot of great teaching going on in our classrooms and schools, the reality is that there is also a lot of teaching going on which isn't as good as people think it is, or as good as it needs to be. There are a lot of teachers who are teaching to their potential. When I say this, I'm not suggesting that teaching in our schools today is poor, although if we're honest, some of it is. I actually think that teaching is as good today as it has ever been. Rather, I'm suggesting that it could be better. Good could be very good, and very good could be great. So why isn't this happening? The answer is not because teachers aren't working hard. Most are. It is not because teachers aren't trying their best. Most are. Instead, a significant reason is that many teachers and school leaders, by whom I mean head teachers, deputy head teachers, heads of department, principal teachers, and others with school leadership roles, don't really understand what great teaching is. They think they do, but they don't. A second reason is that teachers aren't being supported by their schools to develop and improve their practice. Instead, they are left to do this themselves. However, not everyone is managing. Not because they don't want to, but because they don't know how to or believe they don't have time. What this means is that many of our students aren't receiving the quality of education that they need and deserve. Too often, the quality of education they receive is determined by the luck of the draw. By this, I mean it's determined by which teacher happens to be teaching them. Usually, students don't get to control this. Whether or not they experience great teaching, good teaching, or poor teaching is usually a matter of chance. If you accept this, then I hope you will also accept that this isn't good enough. Everyone involved in education has a duty to do something about this. So what can we do? What can we do to help ensure that, regardless of the teachers they have, all students receive a high-quality education? The solution is simple. We need to improve the quality of our teaching. How do we do that? I'm glad you asked. I finished writing The Teaching Delusion towards the end of 2019. It was published in March 2020, uh, at the point that the whole country went into lockdown. I didn't think that I was going to write another book. But in that time, when we were in lockdown, I was, I was doing an awful lot of professional reading. Um, I do a lot of professional reading anyway, but I was doing even more reading uh, during that period. Um, and as I was doing that, I was, I was starting to, to come up with, with some more ideas and some things that, that really I th- felt were, were, were important to say, um, some more delusions that I felt were important to call out that maybe hadn't been called out in, in that first book. The first book, in the first book, there's a real focus on pedagogy, and there's a real focus on professional learning, um, there's some focus on leadership and what makes high quality leadership in schools. There's not so much of a focus in book one on the curriculum, and I really did want to say something about that. So the teaching delusion two, teaching strikes back, um, kicks off um, with a section on curriculum. Part one of the book, the first hundred or pages or so, is, is all about curriculum. It then moves into a section on pedagogy, um, explores 10 pedagogical principles, and the theme of assessment it goes into in detail in a way um, that, that, that's far more extensive than, than the first book. It explores things like tracking and reporting, independent learning, That's the second part of the book. And then it moves in in its third and final part back into leadership, uh, which is touched upon in the final chapter of the first book. But there's a a more in-depth exploration of what high-quality leadership looks like in schools, an exploration of a model that I proposed in the first book that I termed teaching-centered leadership. Um, And the book really gets into that. I had originally thought about calling the book Transforming Almost Everything in Your School Through a Focus on Great Teaching, which I thought really did capture what the book was about accurately, if not succinctly. And in the end, I I quite like the nod to Star Wars and the idea that it was a sequel. So I went with Teaching Strikes Back. So The Teaching Delusion 2, Teaching Strikes Back is the sequel uh, to The Teaching Delusion. Uh, 
you, you don't have to read it as a sequel. You can you can read the second book first. Um, but I think really what it does is it, it goes into particular areas like curriculum, um, like assessment, uh, like leadership uh, in quite a bit more detail than that first book does, which focuses more on pedagogy and professional learning. The third book, The Teaching Delusion 3, is subtitled Power Up Your Pedagogy. It's pure pedagogy. Um, it's been written as a handbook um, for teachers and for school leaders who want to make classroom practice better. Um, it's heavily focused on cognitive science, educational research um, and practical messages about how we can make pedagogy even better than it is already. Um, I think as I did with the first book, maybe there's some value in just reading a little bit from the introduction to give uh, people an idea of what this book is, is really getting at. Have you ever been given lesson observation feedback that left you more despondent and frustrated than motivated and energised? If you have, you are in good company. A process that should be one of the most useful to teachers has become the opposite. Rather than welcoming lesson observations with open arms, teachers are locking their doors and turning the lights off. They manage to get, if they manage to get through the year without one, it's a good result. Not only is this sad, it is deeply damaging to our profession. High quality feedback offers one of the best ways for teachers to learn and develop their practice. Te practice. Teachers need it. What they don't need is what many are currently getting. Poor quality feedback delivered in a poor quality way. At the risk of causing offence to some, too many school leaders are giving lesson observation feedback when they don't really know what they're talking about. I'm sorry, but this needs to be called out. I'm referring to people who sit teachers down and tell them things like, you need to talk less, you need to differentiate more. There was a lack of pace and challenge. There wasn't enough group work. Students need to be allowed to lead their learning more. There wasn't enough higher order thinking. Not only are most of these statements too ambiguous to have any real meaning, they are ill-informed. They lack grounding in educational research about high-quality teaching. At best, teachers don't know what to do with them, so they are ignored. At worst, teachers are sent down blind alleys and their teaching actually suffers. Sometimes the feedback teachers are given doesn't even relate to teaching. For example, your display boards aren't very neat. Maybe you could smile a bit more improve the labelling on your trace. Such feedback is subjective and ideological. It is based purely on opinion. As a result, it isn't particularly useful to teachers. Teachers need feedback that is based on research and evidence. As disappointing as what many teachers are being told in feedback is how they are being told this. Discussions are rushed. Sometimes there is no discussion at all. Instead, teachers are sent an email that lists someone's thoughts. Invariably, there is criticism. I didn't think you did that particularly well. You should have done more of this and much less of this. Sometimes strategies that are used to give feedback to students, such as two stars and a wish, are used with teachers. The fact that this might be perceived as patronising appears to go over their heads. How precisely do people delivering feedback in this way think it is being received? Do they think teachers are grateful? Do they think they are running to the classroom next door to tell their colleague all about it? Do they think they can't wait for their next observed lesson? No? Then why are they delivering feedback like this? The Teaching Delusion 3, Power Up Your Pedagogy, has been written to help address the significant issue of poor feedback in the teaching profession. It can be used in one of two ways. One, by teachers as a self-improvement resource. And two, by teachers in collaboration with colleagues as a coaching resource. We will begin with a crash course in learning, exploring how learning happens via 10 learning lessons. There are fundamentals here that every teacher and school leader needs to know. Next, we will get into the real heart of the book, an exploration of pedagogy. We will do this by breaking great teaching down into 12 elements, very similar to those first explored in the teaching delusion. Element one, daily review. Element two, learning intentions. Element three, success criteria. Element four, prior knowledge. Element five, presenting content. Element six, practice. Element seven, differentiation. Element eight, questioning. Element nine, discussion. Element 10, feedback. Element 11, plenary review. Element 12, expectations, behavior, and relationships. As we explore each element, we will identify associated power-up prompts. These are summary statements designed to pull together key messages 
and help you reflect on your teaching practice. There are 75 in total. Don't worry about these just now. They will make sense once we get to them. We will also identify trusted techniques. These are specific practices that you can focus on building into your teaching or improving further. There are almost 100 in total. Again, these will make sense later. To finish, we will explore how the key ideas of this book can be brought together in professional learning plans and how these can be used to bring a school together in a culture of learning. Teachers have a natural burning desire to get better. To do this, they need access to high quality professional learning so that they can engage that they can engage with both themselves and with others. This is precisely what this book hopes to provide. As a self-improvement and coaching resource, it has been written to fuel the professional learning flame, firing everyone up to make their teaching even better. Poor lesson observation feedback should be a thing of the past. No longer will it extinguish flames. Let's get going. So that's the trilogy. Um, I'm delighted that so many people seem to be finding it so useful, um, that they, they appreciate the way that it's been written, um, the focus on, on practicality, um, I've, had, I've had so many people get in touch with me saying such nice things about all of the books. So I'm really, really pleased about that because it's, they have been written to help people. That's, that's their purpose at the end of the day. They're there to help teachers and to help school leaders make teaching even better than it is already. Um, I'm delighted um, that different teachers and school leaders have volunteered to be a part of, of this episode today to share their reflections on on what they think of the Teaching Delusion books and how specifically they are helping to impact on their practice. So thanks very much, everybody. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks, Bruce. I never take for granted that busy teacher authors will record for the podcast, so I really appreciate your contribution. I felt it was logical to cover all three books in one episode today and hopefully this will provide us with some great variety in the six reader contributions we're about to hear. Let's hear from Colin first of all. Hi, my name's Colin Carswell and I'm a teacher from Oban High School. I teach history and modern studies. Um, the first time I really heard of the teaching delusion, I think it was during the first uh, lockdown. And it was during a period where there was a lot of discussion about Tom Sherrington's Rosenstein's principles and a lot of the work with Kate Jones, both of which um, I loved reading about and both of which helped me massively with my teaching. Um, I had a lot of misconceptions about the actual title, um, the actual delusion part of it, where I thought that this book would actually challenge and dispel many of much of the work that I was discussing and I thought I was quite interested to see a different perspective. Um, Another thing that interested me about um, the teaching delusion was the fact that Bruce was from a Scottish school as well. That came that the Scottish context made me think um, just something that added a, a lot more interest and thought this was investigating a lot more. Um. From the first, really the first chapter of the teaching delusion that really uh, got me hooked on it. This is when I started to realise this is really resonating with me in terms of my passion for learning. The passion of which um, Bruce talks about the importance of learning and the pivotal nature of it, of uh, the process of learning is something that resonated massively with me. And from there, I was really hooked. It then actually became a case of reading out of pleasure as opposed to professional development. Um, one of the, out of the three books, it's quite difficult to pinpoint a single way in which the book has like really imp- impacted my practice. Um, there is really quite a, a breadth of information a quality breadth of information. But in terms of the two ways, the one would be differentiation. Um, I would say that my perceptions of differentiation would have been completely, not somewhat different to uh, the way Bruce articulates it. And he articulates it fantastically. He talks about the actual different methods. For me, differentiation, I would always talk about as really 
offering perhaps it's I really struggled in terms of getting the balance between what level of support and whether I'm actually doing enough for uh, pupils. But he actually discusses the impact of scaffolding and the actual um, importance of quality mm -hmm. instruction as well. And that really helped me actually come to the conclusion that I actually am doing quite a lot of good stuff. And of course, there's always stuff that I could be doing better. But um, that led to me then as one of the uh, areas that we were looking on for professional development in um, Oban was differentiation. And I was able to bring a different perspective uh, to the table. Another key thing from massive strength of Bruce's work something that I would always look for in all professional reading two key things one a theoretical framework that is largely based on evidence-based practice which Bruce eh, does in abundance especially with the collation of quality offers that he draws on for example Daniel Willingham, Willingham Dylan William Kate Jones Tom Sherrington eh, Doug Limov etc I mean, that's actually one of the strengths in itself. It brings in a lot, it collates a lot of information that kind of saves you doing, doing that as well because time is limited as a teacher. But um, the key things that I'm looking for from a pref professional reading are, one, that theoretical framework I just discussed, but secondly, I'm also looking for practical examples. There's nothing worse when you're discussing with a teacher um, just purely theory. It, Teachers especially um, can have the tendency to switch off because they're looking for sometimes that quick fix in order to um, make an impact for their pupils. And Bruce, with every teaching strategy, especially in the Teaching Delusion 3, where he basically, the Teaching Delusion 3 is like a pedagogy toolkit. And it really does allow you to explore different areas, but it offers practicals, um, practical solutions, not just for actual Bruce's um, subject, which is science, but there's also um, different examples from different areas thrown as well, which I think helps um, massively for it. Um, another key thing that made me think differently, completely differently, something, a new concept essentially was a cognitive overload and that really was, I would say, a game changer for me because it helped me actually think about how I learn as, even as a teacher and my process of learning as a pupil as well and I wouldn't say I was a particularly high attainer, in fact I definitely wasn't a high attainer in high school but this helped me pinpoint give me another explanation as to why things, in terms of understanding the learning process of when I was a teenager as well. And that's something I've tried to bring into the classroom in terms of the information that I am sharing with my pupils as well, which I hope has been effective as well. I mean, for me, I would be someone that would teach with a somewhat great deal of intensity. And I would say that awareness of cognitive overload has helped me to slow down my teaching and really uh, alter the pace of my uh, teaching. Another quality thing, not just about uh, the actual books, but uh, Bruce's podcasts are also phenomenal. Uh, Bruce communicates, speaks as well as what he does as, as a writer. Um, has this very concise and nature of explaining concepts and articulating stuff extremely impressively well. I mean, the, the, the three books are written extremely well, easily readable, actually enjoyable, as I said before, but his podcasts are equally as enjoyable, I would say, especially going out with a dog, the amount you actually take in as well. And the, the way he explains it helps me as well to explain to other teachers about different areas of pedagogy. Without, as well, one key thing he is, he manages to actually ask quite very important teachers about learning where he's essentially challenging a lot of things at, without being overly critical. He's doing it in a very constructive manner as well. And that's something I think that is also particular highlight is why something why I think Bruce has been so successful and why so many people have been influenced by his work as well.
Um, in terms of the podcasts as well, it was on uh, Darren Leslie's fantastic podcast, um, Becoming Educated and Informed. I think actually Bruce has done two or three episodes or that, and each one of them, you just take away something new from it every single time. In terms of the future, I mean, I will have Bruce's work, the three books, quite proudly, to be honest, on my table, on my desk in the classroom, particularly Teaching Delusion 3, which is essentially a teaching toolkit. And for every young teacher, every student teacher, I would I could not recommend this even more. But, I mean, the Teaching Delusion 1, where he talks about the quality of teaching, really sets a platform for Teaching Delusion 3 as well for that. So, overall, for me... Um, I would say the three books have been a game changer. This actually kind of it's really it's resulted in me actually um continuing to build on, for example, um cognitive overload. I'm now led to me doing inquiries about that, actually doing further research, building my knowledge because of the footnotes linking to the likes of all of our level as well. So the work's actually grown arms and legs as well. And it's helped me massively and I now get teachers coming to ask to borrow the books which I'm quite happily happy to do as well so um, I don't really know how to finish this off but I um, just want to say thank you to Bruce and for all the work and the impact they've made for my teaching as well I'm really looking forward to seeing um, what future work um, you do okay thank you you're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thank you, Colin. It's been great to hear how much of an impact these books have had on your work, and especially that you're now sharing that with even more teachers that you work with. Funnily enough, our next contribution also comes from a Colin, so let's hear from him. Hi, how are you doing? My name's Colin McGill. I'm a lecturer in education at Edinburgh Napier University and uh, yeah, I'm just going to have a bit of a chat about the Teaching Delusion trilogy. Uh, If I start off talking about the first book, this book, uh, I still remember the day it arrived at the uh, locker of a a well-known online store nearby to the Edinburgh Napier campus and I went out to pick it up when I got the notification it was in the locker Uh, and it was one of those rare amazing days which contained no meetings in my calendar whatsoever. So uh, I thought I'm going to read the first few pages just to see what this is like because I'd heard great things about the book Uh, and that reading the first few pages uh, turned into me sitting there reading it for about five hours solid. Uh, I just uh, couldn't put it down. I thought it was an absolutely fantastic book. Uh, It's well written, it's so easy to read. Uh, and uh, and it's and it's really impactful. You know, it's one of these books that make me think if I had read this when I was a school teacher or when I was uh, a principal teacher in school, then I would have been much better at my job from reading this book. You know, it's, uh, the book's split up into three parts. You know, in the part one, that kind of shared understanding of what makes great teaching, it's called. And that's a, a great section in the book. It's got a little chapter on the science of how we learn, which is really, really good if you want a wee, uh, a wee small kind of condensed version about how we learn. It's a really good chapter to read. Uh, if I talk about part two, part two contains uh, what's called a lesson evaluation toolkit. I'd seen Bruce Robertson speak about the lesson evaluation toolkit at a research ed conference. Uh, and and it was a really interesting presentation about how we can um, how we can evaluate our own lessons to really focus on on what matters in the classroom basically and I think you know and what's going to really have an impact on the learning in our classroom uh, and uh, and uh, I think as Robin McPherson says in the foreword to the book the book's almost worth buying for the lesson evaluation toolkit alone uh, I encourage my student teachers at Edinburgh Napier to use the lesson evaluation toolkit we have got our own version of it at Edinburgh Napier and I encourage my students to uh, to reflect on their lessons using that lesson evaluation toolkit uh, and I'll, I'll encourage them to uh, ask their mentors in schools to fill it in as well while observing them so that they can have that kind of discussion with their mentors after the lesson and kind of compare where they uh, thought they were according to the lesson evaluation, to- lesson evaluation toolkit and what their mentors thought their lesson was like according to the lesson evaluation toolkit so it's a really, really, really a great tool for kind of evaluating your practice uh, and looking at looking how you can improve aspects of your teaching practice over time. 
Aye. I then kind of broke uh, I broke the trend. I didn't read the books in order. Uh, I was lucky enough uh, that Bruce sent me an advanced copy of uh, books two and three to have a read. Uh, so I, re- I chose to re- read book three. Uh, uh, and book three is a fantastic book. It really, really is. Uh, if I was to pick a favourite of the trilogy, it possibly will be uh, book three. Uh, it starts off with a crash course in learning, but it takes kind of that chapter from the first book on the science of learning and kind of expands it into more detail. Uh, and it's got kind of what's called ten learning lessons about aspects of uh, of the science of how we learn and how we can apply that in our classrooms. So it's a really kind of great introduction to that. Uh, and then what Bruce has done basically is that he's taken uh, twelve elements of good practice and he goes through twelve chapters explaining uh, how to put those. Uh, how to put those aspects of good practice into practice in the classroom with plenty of of examples to, to show you how you could use that in your own classroom. Now, I like this book so much that uh, I'm the module leader of the learning and teaching modules on our PGDE programme at Edinburgh Napier and, uh, and Teaching Delusion 3 will be a book that I will be telling our students to buy, you know, and uh, I'm kind of basing that kind of uh, curriculum of my module round about, uh, round about the elements that Bruce has got his 12 elements and I think a lot of the, uh, as the as my students progress through that module uh, that's what they'll be looking at is these uh, these elements that Bruce um, that Bruce explains uh, and almost all of their reading for the course well a lot of uh, I think during the course of that module they're going to have to read Bruce's entire uh, third book uh, because I really really think it's a really accessible good book that, uh, that our students will be able to put into practice uh, and the final one I read was Teaching Delusion 2. Uh, Teaching Delusion 2 is really, again, really good. I mean, I love all three books. Bruce has got, Bruce has got an amazing writing style uh, that makes these books really, really accessible, so easy to put into practice. Uh, I, I like this uh, part one of that, the kind of discussion around the curriculum. I really, really like that, the kind of whole knowledge versus skills debate and, uh, and, and how uh, we really need to kind of specify what we want in our curriculum. Uh, and it's quite good. It looks uh, a little bit about the, the curriculum for excellence in Scotland and a good critique around about the experiences and outcomes there uh, and uh, part three part three is an annoying uh, bit for me because as I said uh, when I was a principal teacher of science uh, I wish I had read part three I'd have been a much better leader if I had read part three uh, about when in 2013 or 2012 whenever it was I became a principal teacher of science if I had read that section then I'd have been a much better leader uh, so overall read the books that's all I can say is my uh, read the books you'll find them really easy to read uh, if you're a if you're a classroom teacher they will really impact on your practice you'll find some great uh, great bits of uh, information in there to really improve your practice and not things that you have to go away and really overhaul your practice things that you can think wow I can I can try that with my class that I've got tomorrow morning first thing you know I'm going to try that really uh, aspects uh, that he talks about, you can really make small changes to your practice, could have a really big impact. So, and if you're a if you're a leader, it will give you great um, information for how to how to support the teachers within your uh, department or faculty and how to improve, right? And really kind of what aspects in their practice to look at and and give you more specificity around about telling teachers like what they can work on and giving them advice and how to improve their practice. So, uh, as you can tell, I really really love the trilogy. Um, and I said, yeah, they're, they're well, we're well stocked in Edinburgh Napier's library with, with all three of the books. And, uh, and I, I rely heavily on those books for the reading in my modules. And uh, yeah. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks for your reflections, Colin. It's great to hear that you'll be passing the book on to so many future teachers. Next up, we're hearing from Alex Gordon. Hi, everyone. It's great to be back on from page to practice for what I believe is my third appearance. And it's really exciting today to talk about a series of books that have had a massive impact on my practice in the last few years. Bruce Robertson's The Teaching Delusion 1, 2 and 3. Now, before I start, I'm currently actually finishing the third book in the series. Um, So a lot of what I'm going to say today links heavily to the first book in particular, because as I've said, it had a a massive impact in the work that we've done recently, uh, especially around my job uh, this year as teaching and lead assistant principal at a school in North East London. Now, when I was thinking about what to say in this podcast uh, and what areas to focus on within the first book in particular, 
Um, I did just have a look through my USB and my notes, and I've actually got two documents. One is uh, the Bruce Robertson notes, so essentially a summary of the first book. Um, and then when I applied for this assistant principal job at the start of uh, the year for teaching learning, my notes for that interview I've just looked through now are very, very heavily um, a lot of what Bruce Robertson said in The Teaching Delusion. So um, for me, really, I'm not sure I'd be in this role without these books being written uh, and me going through reading them and making my own notes. Um, I'm going to focus on a, a few small things that we've done at school based upon this book. Uh, one of them is through the uh, toolkit, the teaching and toolkit that Bruce Robertson talks about in the first book and how we've used that idea and adapted it for our own context as well. Uh, then I want to talk quickly about the professional learning model um, that Bruce has put together and again how we tweak that for our own practice. And thirdly, the professional learning plan is like hopefully that in the future we want to implement again based on number of the ideas in the book itself. I strongly believe that um, as Bruce outlines in the first book that high quality schools are learning schools and that we all can improve. And that's not to say that we're not good teachers and we have good teachers in our schools, but actually there's always a commitment to get better and that improvement is learning. And I found the sentence really important where he says, in the absence of professional learning or development, student learning will not improve. And actually student outcomes should be at the heart of any CPD programme that we put together in school. He also mentions that teaching-centred leadership is a really desired outcome um, for what we're doing in schools. And that our professional learning culture that we create and put together, it impacts the teaching learning structures in the school, which impacts the teaching quality, and then in turn, aids student learning and student outcomes. I think that um, diagram approach was really, really useful that you put together. Firstly, then, the uh, teaching and learning toolkit. Now, when I took over this job, and if uh, you follow me on Twitter and have read some of my blogs and followed the journey, I suppose, about what our school's going through, you'll know that our school has a set of pedagogical principles, um, and there's eight components that we as a school identified um, are common features of a high-quality lesson or high-quality teaching, and typically produce that. Um, they're driven by research, collaboration, and staff experience, and they're not prescriptive, and they're not a tick list, which is like hugely important that Bruce Robertson outlines as well. And in his books, he's put together components and guidelines for a high-quality lesson. Now, our eight components that we put together are retrieval and retention, purpose and sequencing, high expectations and communication, knowledge and deliberate practice, modelling and questioning, literature and reading, metacognition and self-regulation, feedback and review. And our big starting point when we put those together was through looking at the work that Bruce put uh, forward and how we could adapt that for our own context as well. And if you're interested about how we put those principles together and the process we followed, um, there's a blog post I've written around the whole school teach learning framework. And please feel free to contact me on Twitter um, as well if you're on a similar journey in your school also. Secondly, then, the professional learning model. Now, we follow a five-strand professional learning approach, which essentially goes from the trust or whole school um, down to the selection or the uh, choice or optional pathways, then the individual approach, and then how we share best, best practice um, around the school. And again, that five-strand model, our CPD plan, I've written up two blog posts about. Please have a look if you're interested in our CPD plan. But again, Bruce puts forward the professional learning model of read, observe, practice, feedback, participate, and share. And again, all of those points he put forward we can embed or we have embedded into our professional learning model um, and our strand pathway, which we aim to develop and push forward more next year and moving forward. Finally, then, the professional learning plan, uh, which is almost a, a log of how um, Bruce uses the toolkit to focus on staff improvement. And one of our big aims in the future is to move towards more a professional um, growth style system where our big aim is just that we want teachers to improve and that they can select one of our principles that we're currently embedding slowly in the school, and then they focus a piece of work around that principle to show how they get better across the whole year. Um, and Bruce very much has put forward this professional learning plan, which we will be adapting and stealing in the future to model our approach around that as well. So again, I could have picked so many examples from Bruce's books. I'm a huge fan of the teaching delusions. And again, I'm currently going through the third one uh, right now. But there's so many links and crossovers that we've put forward. And I'm always a, a massive champion of Bruce on Twitter uh, when I share ideas and work. So um, 
Thank you for listening today. I hope me sharing that story and those some examples um, might help you further. And if you want to discuss, discuss any of that, those ideas with me, please check me out on Twitter, the blog post, and please feel free to send me a message as well. Thank you for listening. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Always a pleasure to hear from returning contributors, so thank you, Alex. Next, let's hear from Derek. My name is Derek Huffman, and I am the PT of pedagogy at the Berkshire High School. I've been teaching English here for um, almost 17 years now, um, as you can tell by my thick Scottish accent. Um, I moved here from Canada in 2005, and I have to admit that, I, you know, looking back over the last 17 years or so, uh, up until recently, I, I engaged in very little meaningful professional learning. And that's not to say that I wasn't up for it. It was more the opportunities weren't really there. Um, you know, most things involved traveling and staying over, and then we all sort of lost our, our CPD budgets, etc., etc. And we didn't really have a huge focus on professional learning um, in the school. And I, I really, the, 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 the teaching delusion, part one, um, it really kind of came along at a, at a good time for me. I was kind of stuck in a rut, but I didn't really think I was stuck in a rut. I was actually quite happy in my job. Um, I didn't really have any intention on, you know, ever going for promotions or anything like that because I got into this job because I enjoy teaching. Um, and so I was, I was very happy with uh, the way things were going and um, things were sort of ticking away nicely. I was getting on okay. Um, and then... I, Bruce worked at the school a long time ago, and um, although he was deputy head at another school, I was talking to him, and he mentioned that he was writing a book. I was actually, uh, I was lucky enough to get a, a bit of a sneak peek. And all I can say is, in, in all honesty, it, it really opened my eyes. Um, I always had a, a bit of a problem with the gulf between theory and practice. Um, you know, you hear lots of people talking about lots of educational theories, but then when they start talking about practice, it kind of falls apart. Um, but Bruce has a way in these books of really bringing them together, the theory and the practice, in a very clear way. And it genuinely did have an immediate effect on my classroom. So at first, the first thing that I started doing uh, from the, the teaching delusion was using show-me boards more. And it was such a seemingly simple idea. You know, it, it's not about who knows the answers. It's about who doesn't know the answer. And the idea of making student thinking visible to, um, you know, so, so I could respond to that in the moment made a huge difference. It saved time in terms of unnecessary marking and giving useless feedback as I would normally do when I carried home 30 jotters and marked them. And then, you know, I'd find out, oh, all that stuff I talked about in my lesson was was meaningless. So it made a big difference um, for that. Understanding the science of how we learn from teaching delusion part one also made me approach lesson planning and activities uh, and planning activities in a whole new way. And I, I noticed an increased knowledge and confidence in my students. My planning was also affected by how clearly Bruce explains the importance of getting the wording of learning intentions and success criteria correct. My use of effective questioning techniques really kind of went up in the idea of the frequency of the question, you know, asking questions throughout check, check, checking. Um, and as I delved deeper in, into the book, uh, it really forced me to re-examine the usefulness of our curriculum, and it's something he gets into in a lot more detail in part two. In the long run, the most useful thing uh, for me from the teaching delusion was the lesson evaluation toolkit and recognizing it not just as a checklist but as a tool to kind of evaluate my own practice. In the past, any type of lesson evaluation was a very high stakes thing. You know, people would come in with their clipboards and they would tick off whether or not you did something. In this lesson evaluation toolkit, Bruce made it very clear very quickly that that's not what it was about. It was about asking us to consider things that, um, you know, the, the, that research suggests works best. Then when uh, Teaching Delusion Part 2 came out, it did force me to dive even more deeply into the curriculum, and it helped me recognize the importance of a knowledge-based, skills-orientated curriculum. You know, name a skill uh, without a knowledge base. Um, 
it also outlined a series of very helpful pedagogical principles that really underpin everything that we do. The thing about the books is, um, is that they really cut through the noise and they get to the point. They encourage us to never do things just because we're told to do them. You know, we're, we're encouraged to do things we believe in, things we know through the available research are going to make a difference on student knowledge and understanding. For the classroom teacher, there's probably not um, an educational book more useful, at least that I've come across on a day-to-day -day basis, than Teaching Delusion 3. Um, it's presented as a series of pedagogical elements, um, and he goes into more depth um, with all the things mentioned in the lesson evaluation uh, toolkit. So whenever I'm focusing on a particular element in our toolkit, let's say making thinking visible, I can go to that section in Teaching Delusion 3, and it gives me some very, very practical ideas. In terms of bridging the gap between theory and practice, this is extremely useful. As some people may know, um, Bruce is actually currently the rector at the school in which I teach. And it's it's a place where all these these principles from these books are really put into action. Um, these books really ignited a desire in me to keep reading you know, to, to, to branch out. It's not something I really did before. Um, they pointed me in the direction of people like uh, Rosenshine, um, Doug Lemoff, Dylan William, you know, Tom Sherrington, John Hattie, Kate Jones, and podcasts like this one. The biggest takeaway um, from all, all three books is in terms of me being a, a, a teacher, and there's tons in there for school leaders, uh, curriculum planners, but in terms of uh, being a teacher, which is, let's face it, it's the most important job in the school, um, I'm much more mindful and I'm reflective in my practice, and I really feel like I'm growing as a teacher. So every time I plan a lesson, write a learning intention or, or, or a bit of success criteria, every time I activate prior learning or model or make my own thinking visible, every time I guide, support, and then set them off to do independent practice, every time I revisit the learning intention and success criteria at the end of the lesson and check if they've learned what they want them to learn, Every time I think about differentiated challenge and support and not differentiating content and tasks. Every time about, uh, I think about making their thinking visible and giving feedback. Every time I'm reminded of the things that Bruce put so succinctly. Um, and though I know my teaching isn't good enough, as the subtitle of Teaching Delusion Part 1 suggests, I don't see this as a negative. In fact, I'd be worried about anyone who said they're good enough. Instead, I'm just really fired up. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks, Derek. Yet another really positive contribution to the podcast about the book and its impact on your practice. It's really great to hear. We've got two more contributions to go now, and the next one is from Jamie. Hello, my name is Jamie Orr. I am a primary school teacher and I currently work at Law Primary School um, in the town of North Berwick, which is in the southeast of Scotland. Over the last few years, I've taught at different schools, three large primary schools, with different roles, um, varying from classroom teaching to leading whole school improvements, primarily in teaching and learning, as well as ICT, um, along with some um, year-head responsibility and pastoral responsibility as well. When I first started teaching, I came into teaching from uh, a different career beforehand, it, it struck me that the movement towards evidence-based practices wasn't something that was being captured in primary school settings, certainly. It, it may have been in secondary, but I always felt that when new initiatives came out from places like Research Ed, Twitter, Professional Reading, that they weren't always received very well in primary school settings. I often heard people say, well, you know, that's all good and well saying that, but in my class that won't work. This was designed for secondary school teachers. However, I really do feel that the Teaching Delusion trilogy of books helps to build that gap and and, and building those complaints, I suppose, um, because the three books are incredibly practical um, and very helpful to reflect against. The main thing that I, I like about all three books is the way in which they're written, the style that's used to write the books. 
each of the books, um, it, it feels a bit like a discussion, as if you're there with the author, with Bruce Robertson, because it, it, it's written informally, but there are lots of key messages to think about. There's examples to stop and reflect on. There's also case studies to think about. And in each of the books, it's really helped me to reflect on my own teaching practice and my own leadership, and of course, just my own beliefs within education uh, more generally. So I really believe that these books can be used in all school settings um, with teachers and leaders. My favourite of the three books is The Teaching Delusion 3. I've read all three many times, but I am going to take um, time to just quickly run through one takeaway from each of the books that's had a big impact on me because I think all three of the books are great but there's no denying that The Teaching Delusion 3 is my favourite and it's just because I think it really captures classroom teaching well. Um, it's, it's one of the few books that just dives deep down into all the elements of what makes great teaching, why things make great teaching and, and, and also why certain practices are not as effective and it's very good for school leaders if they're observing or coaching or mentoring and it's of course fantastic if you're in the classroom teaching because it just helps you to keep on, on the right tracks and have that evidence behind you. Beginning with book one, Teaching Delusion One, my favourite part of this is the professional learning culture and the reason for that is I used this chapter in a role when I was working at a very large primary school to develop teaching and learning. And I used the advice given in the book to create a lesson evaluation toolkit in a collaborative way with, with all the teaching staff and the school leaders. This involved getting staff to read short articles of evidence-informed practices, along with national guidance that we follow here in Scotland. And just using that chapter was helpful to steer the improvements in the right way and because of that it, it made a big difference so things like making the lesson evaluation toolkit was integral to getting all staff um, sharing teaching practices with each other through stage meetings through cat sessions and uh, so that, that the sessions we do for training after school because they're talking about practices they know make a difference but going beyond just the, the use of the Lesson Evaluation Toolkit, the book was extremely helpful to, to guide me with, with leading things like a teaching learning improvement group to help steer the direction of the school. You know, it, it, it really makes you think about, well, what's the best way to get change going in a positive way with, with everyone behind you? So having a group like that, for example, means that teachers lead the improvements, but you're able to um, put in suggestions and, and, and run those by people, and it's very helpful. The The book also gave us um, lots of direction and steer on specific strengths and teaching practice across the school, but also to plan improvements through uh, workshops and training. So, you know, there was a huge amount that I took from that chapter. In fact, I used it as a manual. I really did feel that you could pick that up and um, run with it as a leader and, and, and make it work in your own school. There's lots of fantastic aspects to the Teaching Delusion too, um, but for me, the most striking one, if you like, uh, was curriculum. And that's because when I've read about curriculum in the past, I felt that it maybe was a bit too complex. Um, perhaps it, it wasn't as well understood by wider school staff in, in different schools I've worked in. However, I do feel that this book nails what it is we need to be thinking about. And that is, what do you want your students to leave school knowing by the end of their school life in your particular school? And once you've got that clear, working with staff across the school to make that you know, explicit, it means you can then deliver great lessons. And for me, one of the, the best parts is, is that feeling of knowing what it is you need to teach, having certainty, because it then makes everything easier. And I use the example um, where, uh, as a teacher, I used to find myself quite often in a position on a Friday afternoon thinking, right, I've finished the school week, what on earth am I teaching next week? And that was not even just in my early career, but 
a little bit later on too. And it's because there wasn't clarity amongst um, part, stage partners and the wider school staff about what it is we want our students to learn, what we want them to know and understand, be able to do. So what this book does within the, the curriculum context is it helps you break down what it is you want students to know through things like knowledge organisers, the way in which you, you you plan different topics of learning. And in doing that really takes away that stress of thinking, well, I'm just making it up because you've then got clarity about what it is that you want to teach and what you want students to know. And if you have that, it, it really means you can thrive with your actual teaching practice. Without that clarity and certainty, it, it's difficult to be the best teacher you can because you're making it up and you're spending too much time guessing what it is that you should be teaching children. So I've used that within my own teaching practice um, to help me steer weeks and months of work in a better way. But I've also used it to help work with staff to, to help them overcome that problem. So basically, clarity about what it is you want students to know and learn in school has been my big takeaway from the Teaching Delusion 2. And finally, the Teaching Delusion 3. So I, I just find this book so practical and I think you can open up any page, read that page or spend five minutes reading from a, any given point in the book and I, and I guarantee that you'll take something away. So this has helped me for two reasons. It's helped me with my own teaching practice. It's helped break down what a great lesson looks like and I've now been able to apply those um, lessons into lessons that I teach. I plan lessons based on the research within this book. But secondly, when I'm giving feedback through coaching, mentoring, observation feedback, it's really helped me pinpoint exact diagnostics, things that were good uh, in lessons and why they were strong. But likewise, what could be improved and why that makes a difference. And it then allows me to work with staff to put in place specific professional learning to help with that, which is great if you're doing the feedback because, you know, it gives you that clarity and certainty. But likewise, if you're receiving feedback, it is very helpful and useful. And I have had that feedback from staff. There's two parts of the book that have had a particular impact. And the first one is the part one, Crash Course and Learning. I think it's essential that we all know about what the teaching um, and learning process is in terms of how we think and learn. So I've used that chapter to to deliver workshops to staff and also to parents so that people are very clear on what it is that makes good teaching in terms of how we think and learn. By doing that, it means that parents at home can ask the right questions to their children to help strengthen what they've learned at school, but it also means um, with staff in school, they're able to plan lessons that focus on what makes a difference more. So it's written very clearly and I, I do find that helpful. The second part is element five, which is presenting content. I just love that part of the book because it talks about how we teach when we present new content. And that isn't something that's discussed in many other books. And it it's something that I always thought you just naturally developed through your own teaching style. But actually, in reading that chapter, I've managed to really simplify the way I teach things the way that I interact with children between being direct but more indirect sometimes through different approaches. It's extremely helpful to think about breaking down new concepts that are tricky in, in, in into simple steps. And I quite often find that this helps students to just have that click light bulb moment, you know, when it just makes sense. And I, and I believe it's because that chapter has made me think more carefully about the structure of presenting new content and, 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 and the importance of that. So that, I just think, is a, is a wonderful read um, and it's very inspirational. And I do think that all three books are relevant to all teachers and all leaders in schools, regardless of their um, experience or indeed their expertise. Um, there's something to be learned for everyone. And I think any of the three books would make a great professional reading group book study, um, in particular, book three for teachers. So thank you for listening. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Thanks for that contribution, Jamie. And finally for today, our last reader is Roddy. 
Hi there, my name is Roddy Graham. I'm a primary teacher here in the Scottish Borders. I work in Tweedbank Primary School and I also work this year as part of the Inspire Learning Team in Borders, which is our digital technologies programme. So I'm one of the strategic leads uh, for nine cluster schools in the Galashiels area. Scottish Borders Council is the same authority that Bruce works in, in his role as a rector of Berwickshire High School. And I've followed Bruce on Twitter for a long time. On Twitter, my username is at Mr. Roddy Graham. And it was on there that I came across Bruce and his kind of teaching philosophy. And I knew that he was uh, going to be re uh, introducing The Teaching Delusion as a book. So it was one that I was keen to get my hands on almost as soon as it came out. Now, I've obviously read different books as a teacher and as a professional uh, learner myself, but I have to say that I've never read a professional learning resource as quickly as I did The Teaching Delusion Volume 1. I almost felt like a teaching Bible. I feel like every student teacher out there, every NQT, every RQT, every fully experienced teacher should have a copy of this book. It is just a, a wonderful resource for showcasing what is needed in teaching in 2022, but also in a really practical and easy to read way. Uh, the section that I'm going to talk about for this is the part on the lesson evaluation toolkit. And that was something that I felt was really, really well laid out in terms of what the resource is, in terms of the way that Bruce introduced it at his school. But also it kind of blew my mind as to how amazing this resource could be in any school. And what we did at Tweedbank Primary School is we took the lesson evaluation toolkit uh, template and then we adopted it for our setting. So obviously Bruce is a secondary practitioner and he's a, a head teacher in a secondary school. But what we decided to do was we were going to use it in our setting in primary. So we were going to need to tweak it for our setting. So we initially took Bruce, uh, Bruce's template of, of what he had in his lesson evaluation toolkit and we primaryified it. And then we took it on even further and we tweedbankified it and we made it really unique to our setting. We uh, shared it with our, our senior management team and all of our staff as well. And then we all sat down on a, a kind of staff meeting, a cat session, and we agreed what that should look like. We, we looked through it in detail. We made changes. We made tweaks. We added some bits. We took some bits away. And then we decided, right, for the next session that is upcoming, this is going to be our resource that we take forward in school. So we had a double-sided uh, A4 sheet. It was available electronically and on paper. It sat in planning folders as well. It was available on staff drives on our network. And that was our school learning, teaching and assessment learning evaluation toolkit. Now, we also have our own learning, teaching and assessment toolkit as well. And this sat within that. So it builds into our teaching philosophy at Tweedbank, our learning approaches, as well as our assessment uh, philosophy as well. And that sits within that. What we've done with it, is our lesson evaluation toolkit is our observation guide, essentially. So if any senior leader is coming in to observe us, they're using the lesson evaluation toolkit. We also set up a peer observation project this year. So we've got many teams of staff who are going into classes and they're either being observed themselves or they are getting the opportunity to do observations on other uh, teachers in school. What we looked for them to do in the peer project was to identify either an area of strength or an area for development based on the lesson evaluation toolkit. And that has had a significant impact on the culture of observation that we've now got. Also, our lesson evaluation toolkit is used as our own professional learning material. So if there's an area or an aspect of the lesson evaluation toolkit that we feel like we need a bit more help with, a bit more support with, we can identify that and then seek the support that comes there. What I've been doing this year is I've been creating a, a kind of sub-branch of it, and that's going to be our uh, learning teaching and assessment toolbox and basically it links into the lesson evaluation toolkit with all of the different elements that are there so learning intentions success criteria feedback questioning and i'm building a alongside a few others in school i'm building a digital resource whereby if there's a particular area that teachers are looking to develop they can go on to that they can look for the resources and on there there will be 
there'll be blogs, there'll be links, there'll be uh, web seminars, there will be a whole host of professional resources that we've sourced that link into the specific elements that are there. But really, where we are 18 months down the line, maybe even two years down the line since reading that initial book, is something that is, is making that real impact to pedagogy in our school. And really, without Bruce's book, I don't think we would have been in that position. So I'm massively thankful to Bruce for uh, publishing the book. He's been very supportive uh, for me as well. He, he, he likes a, a comment on Twitter. He likes getting involved with things too. Um, I had the, the privilege of even teaching in his school this year. Uh, I did some cover classes just because of my role and the, the, the kind of role of COVID as well meant that I was I was drafted in. And he was uh, very welcoming when I went to his, his school as well. And he was very appreciative of me being there for that day too. So... If you've not read The Teaching Delusion, please go out and get yourself a copy. Uh, I would say volume one is a very good starting point, And then two and three, you could almost read either three and two, three then two or two then three. But if you buy the trilogy, I promise you that you will have the best teaching uh, and learning and assessment resource in your hands by the time you finished all three. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks, Roddy. Another glowing review for this book. Thank you to everyone who has contributed to today's episode. And please do let us know with hashtag PagePracticePodcast if you have any thoughts or maybe if this episode has led you to ordering the books for yourself. The next episode will be on Amy May Forrester's The Complete Guide to Pastoral Leadership. So I'm looking forward to hearing from those of you who've read it. I mentioned earlier the professional development journals available to order at learninglinguist.co.uk. These journals are designed to help you set goals for your development, but most importantly, reflect on your development activities to ensure that they're having an impact on your practice. I designed them myself with feedback from other teachers. They come in A4 and 5, hardback and softback, so there are options for everyone. The website allows single orders, but if you are interested in ordering for a group of staff, please let me know and that can be arranged. Remember, orders must be placed by the 4th of June. Thanks, as always, for listening, and please do remember to share the podcast with colleagues, subscribe to get the latest episodes, and rate and review where you can to help us reach a wider audience. Thanks, and bye for now. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Alternatively, to suggest a book or article, or volunteer to contribute to an episode, visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons. <laughs>